You're listening to episode 43 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is all about strengthening emotional well-being. Now today I'm actually continuing a chat. I had a chat with Julia Pappas, who's a psychologist and parent coach, in our last episode, episode 42. And last episode we basically gave a wonderful introductory chat to what emotional development is and how it develops in children. So if you haven't tuned into that one, I strongly recommend that you do. Today's episode is very much building on that information where we really delve into ways to strengthen emotional well-being in our children and inevitably in ourselves as well. Parenting, as we know, and working with children, as we know, is an ongoing learning journey. And today's chat with Julia, we certainly do share some wonderfully fantastic insights. So let's get the chat started with Julia Pappas. Julia Pappas is a psychologist and a parent coach. She has over 15 years of experience working with parents and their children and has particular expertise in child development, behavioral regulation, and learning needs. Julia believes in the power of parents to change the world by being the best resource, inspiration, and support they can be to their children. She empowers parents to own their mission, discover limiting beliefs and parenting blocks, and helps develop essential skills so that parents can have the most fulfilling years of their life while raising children. Julia, welcome to Chat About Children once again. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here again. Thank you. Julia, we chatting about or continuing our chat about emotional development and emotional well-being. And last episode, we had a wonderful chat. It really was quite insightful and super valuable for listeners to get a bit of an introduction around what emotions are, around emotional development, and also looking at what we call emotional regulation. And they're kind of the the building blocks or the foundation skills that we need to function appropriately and to, I guess, lead, hopefully, resilient emotional strategies or use resilient emotional strategies within our everyday life. Mm -hmm. So part one was an amazing episode, which I highly do recommend that listeners tune into if you haven't already done so. So today, part two, Julia, we're talking about strengthening emotional well-being. This is, as I said before in my blurb, it is just such a crucial life skill. So, and you would work with this all the time. Does it form a lot of your work, Julia? Yes, yes, absolutely. Usually there is some concern related to emotional development if the parent is reaching out to me, yes. So what would be, just if you can name a few of the common issues that parents will come to you with? So, so many, right? And a lot of it depends also on how parents express it or describe it but things like my child cries when they shouldn't be so again we talked last time about social emotional right so there is a social component so my child would not share or doesn't want to participate in something so sometimes the challenges might have occurred earlier but it isn't until the child is in a different environment around other peers or other adults that the challenge begins to be more visible and so it's in those contexts that I'm hearing things like that doesn't share or maybe there's some aggression you know so again kind of escalation of feelings my child wouldn't calm down you know if it's a child that's older maybe middle school adolescence kind of high school years things like walking away being rude slamming doors you name it Sonia really it's anything where the parent is anticipating a different reaction or expecting the child to regulate, even if the reaction is appropriate, anger, but being able to regulate rather than escalate is where I'm seeing them kind of asking, what can I do? Like, what's going on here? So it sounds like if I have to summarize a little bit of that, because you've made a bit of a connection here with emotions and behavior, because 
would it be fair to say that if a child, and this can be a person really, but if a child is struggling with an aspect of their, say, emotional development or their emotional regulation, then translate into a behavior being demonstrated. And so then an educator or a parent or carer will look at that behavior and then go, oh, what's going on there? We're getting, say, a negative behavior, if we want to call it that. Is that kind of the connection or how an emotional difficulty might translate into a behavior that's not one that is appropriate, I guess, in a particular situation? Absolutely. I'm actually so glad you pointed that out because it ties to, again, for those who maybe have not listened to that episode yet, but it ties to that conversation we had earlier about emotion is an expression of a need. It's a communication device, right? So when it's not heard or understood, not seen, it's going to start escalating. So for younger children, it's going to escalate pretty quickly. For older ones, it may take a while. But yes, when it escalates, sometimes it is expressed as a behavior to make it even more visible. Absolutely. I'm so glad you made that connection. Yeah, well, I think it's important for everyone, I guess, listening to almost look at the, I guess, the sequence with some of this, not so much as simply as putting it as cause and effect, but really just going, well, let's look at the behavior as a behavior and you know, let's go backwards from there. So kind of analyzing that or observing it from a different viewpoint as opposed to, oh, that child is naughty or, you know, those kinds of things that can sometimes be thrown around as a term or a label. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about communication earlier, that children communicate from day one, right? And showing emotion is one way of communicating. But when children get a little more sophisticated and may not express on their face or with their words what the emotion is, it's very likely that it's going to be seen as a behavior. And the behavior is also a form of communication. So what are they communicating? Some sort of need, right? That's right. Yeah. Beautiful. So how would you define emotional well-being, Julia? For me, it is the ability to experience a range of emotions, different levels of intensity of emotions. So yes, intensity is good. We want to have a range for every feeling we have. A little bit of anxiety to full-blown fear. Those are because, again, emotions are vital for our overall well-being. So we don't want to squash some or replace them because, again, they're messengers about what our needs are. So we do want to keep them. We want to be able to understand what the emotion is and be okay with it. I think the well-being part of it is really being okay with our emotions. And then the second part to that is responding to our needs appropriately, which will then make us feel like, yeah, that need was met right? So when we're able to identify our own feelings accurately, meet the needs appropriately, that's when we feel like emotions have our back. Yes. And we're good with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we're looking at strengthening emotional well-being, it's almost like if you're following that little framework that you just mentioned there, if you're following that pathway or you trigger that pathway often enough, that in itself is going to strengthen emotional well-being, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what about if, you know, we're looking at um, parents, carers and professionals who work with children and they are questioning a child's emotional well-being. Now, there are going to be some really obvious things that will be seen. And for parents, you know, parents know their children, hopefully as well as they can to be able to pick up on subtleties very quickly. Mm -hmm. But what could be something that could be seen in day to day where it's a bit of a sign or a bit of a flag to say, you know what, I'm actually not so well emotionally. What could be some behaviours or some things that could be observed perhaps that might signal this? Yeah. So You know, for some parents, it's going to be they are picking up on the behavior, some kind of new behavior they're seeing or the intensity the child used to maybe, you know, 
have fists when they're angry, but now they're throwing things. So that's a different kind of intensity of the behavior because the feeling, the emotion continues to escalate, right? It could be for children who are kind of turning inward with their emotions. It could be that they're seeing withdrawal or some sort of atypical reaction they usually would see from a child. A child who might be more open, more adaptable, perhaps, is now a little more hesitant and shy. I hear that sometimes too. You know, my child is not shy. What's happening here? So it's things like that. And I think it's really important to know your child and their typical baseline of how they tend to express emotions and how to behave, as well as how does the emotion tend to escalate? You know, that too. I think parents are experts at that, seeing their child and knowing their baseline. Yeah, 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 definitely. So are there any kind of immediate best responses when you notice something is different? Because I know parents can have a different approach and it's going to be different for every child. But, you know, could it be that you go, okay, I've observed this today, nothing major, but I've observed a difference and I'll just sit back and observe tomorrow? And the next day, rather than, you know, explicitly bringing it up and making it an issue, you know, what are some different responses you see going on perhaps with, you know, some of the families you work with in terms of how to respond immediately when you do notice something? Is that that balance, Julia, of not making it a big issue if it doesn't need to be, but then not ignoring it? (laughs) Yeah, so important, isn't it? So number one is we don't want to be scared, right? with what we're seeing. Yes, it's different, doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Because like we mentioned earlier, the child might be going through a stage and something is different for them and they're readjusting. So their needs and emotions might be a little bit dysregulated because of that stressor. But if things are generally okay and now we're seeing something different, we want to keep observing. Observation is the number one amazing tool we really will pick up on when the child is behaving the way we would be thinking that it's appropriate versus when it's not appropriate. Yes. And we might be picking up on some clues around that, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that observation is is really information gathering, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even for professionals like you and I, Mm, we mm. can't really decide what to do because we don't have enough information. All we have is a request, right? So a parent too, it's almost like putting in a ticket. I need support here. It's a red flag. I'm noticing something great. So now that you have that question for yourself as a parent, now you have to do some observing. And so really the critical part to this is trying to observe without expectation or some sort of attachment to, I need an answer right away. I think I know what's happening or any type of emotional investment on our own end. And what I mean is no matter what we're finding, remembering that we as parents, we're okay. We might have emotions too. We might have needs. All of that is still okay. So whatever we're finding with the child, we're gathering that information completely detached from what it might mean for us. We really have separate that. Professionals are good at that, but parents can learn to do that too. Yes. Yes. That is a challenge. That leads me to the next question, actually, Julia, because we talked in part one about kind of the link between your parents or carers' emotional well-being and their ability to to self-regulate their emotions and, you know, the link between that and their child or their children. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what are the challenges in the everyday I mean parents do often need support or not even support just they're in their own growth journey so sometimes yes support is needed but sometimes it's just they're in their own kind of growth journey of responding to ever-changing challenges that happen with parenting in the everyday how can parents I guess feel best supported less overwhelmed and less pressured to be a good parent, which is what quietly a lot of parents just want to be a good parent, do the best for their child. So there is all that kind of internal pressure and stuff going on. What are your kind of steps of advice or strategy around that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boy, there's so many questions within that question. I know, um, sorry. If, if I... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. No, no, but it's it's all important, right? How do you it's like a tangle of different issues all in one, right? So that's parenting, Julia. Is, parenting is a tangle yeah. of different issues all in one. So, so, so that's exactly. why I asked the question. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's why sometimes it's not digestible, but we want to make it digestible for those who are listening, right? Yeah. So let's see. Here's where I would start, right? A good parent is not the one that gets it right all the time, every time, and from the get go. A good parent is the one that keeps learning. Your child not only did not come with a manual, but your child is your child. No one else has a manual for your child, right? So that is number one. So as Mm -hmm. long as we are okay learning, okay observing, it's so wonderful. How many times I say to parents I work with, thank you so much. And your child will appreciate that without even knowing that for being so observant and you noticing that something is amiss. Whether it was, you know, a small issue, no big deal, or something more serious, regardless, how wonderful that you were able to pick up on that. And guess what? If you saw that, you will see something else and you will find something else. And so at that point, we are partners together or the parent can support themselves and saying, well, I'm noticing something. Let's see what else can I notice, right? So it's kind of, I just wanted to tie it back to the previous answer I was giving observation will a lot of the times give us answers as to what might we try next. We're there. If we're really seeing a problem, it's not a temporary issue. We might already have some clues about what to do and we might try that. And again, no attachment to the outcome or making it mean anything about ourselves. If it didn't work, we'll try something else. And in the process, continue observing. What else are you learning about the child's behavior? What are they communicating? That's important to remember. The child's behavior and the child's emotions are communication. So what are they trying to communicate? Really being a detective there, right? Yes. And what do we want them to learn to do? What skills do we want to see? Have that on the back of our mind. But we can't teach anything until we understand where the child is coming from, right? Yes. So a lot of data gathering, but back to what you were saying too, when is it I need to ask for help, right? Yep. When parents feel like they've tried a few things, but either things are not getting better or are getting worse, that would be the time to check in with somebody else. Again, doesn't mean that something tragic is happening. Sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes some fine-tuning of an intervention or an approach the parent has, and you may be good to go. If things are going well or improving and the parent still wants to check in with a professional, great, just to kind of affirm that their choices were appropriate and continue down the same path, fantastic. That would be even more proactive step, right? But I do want parents to know that professionals always start at the observation point, data gathering. And so parents can start there as well. Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Makes absolute sense. And leading from that, so, and that's really important, and I want to reinforce that, that it's okay to get help, to get support, to feel like you've got a team mate working with you to support you through the challenges that you might be experiencing at home. But within that, you're also learning and you're getting more tools for your own personal toolkit. Like that's what I call it to then be able to implement in your everyday Mm -hmm. and with your child or children. So in a lot of ways, it's very much about learning and investing in some skills that you can then transfer over, you know, a period of time. So yes. So sorry, bit of an aside there, but let's go back to You mentioned, you know, what are the skills that we're wanting to see? Now, this is really Mm. pertinent in terms of our topic today, Julia, in strengthening emotional well-being. So if our recipe, if we're trying to bake strong emotional well-being, what are the ingredients? Mm -hmm. What are the skills that are the ingredients that will lead to strong emotional well-being? Oh, great question. We can have 10 episodes just on that. Okay. Well, just give us the, let's just give us the top five or so, and then you can write an ebook about it, Julia, and let me know. (laughs) Yes. So what would be part of that recipe? Yeah. So before I dive into that, I want to, again, kind of give people permission 
to experiment and work with what they have. You can have a salad with only three or four ingredients. You can have a salad with 10 ingredients, right? Yep. I'm going to mention a few things, but it doesn't mean that if your child you think is weaker in one area or another, that you can't contribute to emotional well-being and support it and continue developing it, right? So we will see things like self-esteem, social skills, being able to communicate with peers, with adults, ability to, again, express emotions, not only understand, that's another skill, by the way, understanding what am I feeling, understanding an emotion, but also being able to articulate it, express it with words, show it non-verbally, understand kind of the arc. So this is for older children, how it's showing up, what am I feeling before anyone else notices? And then how does it escalate for me? Because then we're teaching children a way to communicate it before it expressed is expressed through behavior, right? So things like that. Having vocabulary for that, knowing what emotions are, how they're labeled, and how they're felt in the body. Lots of things like that would be going into that recipe. Yes, yes. And thank you. And you've mentioned kind of those broad but very important skills or areas that lead to that, that strong emotional well-being. And I know in part one, we very strong theme through that was that self-awareness and the Mm -hmm. communication through nonverbal and verbal. If we can talk a little bit about, you know, kids, because there are some kids that often they don't have or haven't learned the ability to understand their emotions. Now, we touched on this in Mm -hmm. part one, but if we can hear an example, I'm, I'm happy to share one too, Julia, but if you're able to give an example of perhaps a child that you've worked with where it was very clear that they were still at a stage where they weren't really understanding or interpreting their own emotions. What did the child present like and what or how did you assist with that? Mm -hmm. So let's pick an example from the playground, for example. Okay, so you would see maybe a child who is playing in the sandbox, kind of looks okay. Maybe we've missed something because if they're okay and quiet, we don't look over in that direction. But then we see that child on a slide and they are pushing somebody. So pushing and maybe now we have to see like, what's the expression? Maybe they're laughing and thinking that they're playing, right? Well, we still have to address that. How are we being safe with friends? But if they we see some expression of maybe aggression in their face, we, in addressing the situation, might talk to the child and say, what is happening? Here's what I'm seeing. What might you be feeling? What might be going on? And so the child may say, oh, I'm just playing. But you know, you see that they have some sort of aggressiveness about them. There is some anger that's being expressed and they're just directing it towards a child. So it may be okay to let the child go and not keep insisting, no, you tell me what you're feeling. Because what's important is to have a dialogue, right? So if the child is not open to that, we have made an invitation, but let them go and keep watching. Again, gathering more data. What is happening? Is that child now going after another child or pursuing somebody else? Because that anger that somehow has built up has not been released. And we can catch it now sooner and say, oh, you know what I'm noticing? I'm hearing these sounds. Or I'm seeing your hands are like this. So we want to really communicate to the child what we are observing because now we know that they did not connect with their feeling, right? They didn't tell us, well, I pushed so-and-so because I am angry or whatever was happening. But now we can tell them what we're seeing. We're being their mirror. Would they be able to connect with that? If they're not connecting with that still, we might let them go again, but we've opened the door for that, right? So now we interject or interrupt whatever is about to happen sooner and say, this is what I'm seeing. That's what I mean. Now your face is like this. What's happening? And Mm -hmm. then talk to them about the environment. What is it we're seeing? And ask them, what is it you really want? Sometimes that they can tell us. They may not tell us what the emotion is. We may pick up a nod, but we're asking them, what is the need? 
that's another important piece here. They can yes. tell us what they need. They may not know how they feel. Yeah. Yes, because I'm pretty sure that a lot of kids in response to say, hey, what's going on, they will give you a bit of a recount of what's occurred, mm -hmm. not necessarily mm -hmm. the emotion that goes with it, or if you were to say why or kind of go into a what I call a high-level question, you'll often get the, I mm -hmm. don't know. And and often for kids, depending on yep. their age and their, their abilities, they often don't know. They often don't actually yeah. understand yep. their emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think what you've described there is, and you know, we also do a lot of work with this from a language point of view, is we're allocating words to match what they're feeling or what's occurred. And that helps them understand mm -hmm. themselves a little more. Sometimes less is more. And what I mean by that is in strengthening emotional well-being and in increasing emotional vocabulary, often you can do this really easily in the day-to-day -day occurrences that are going on where emotions are not high, where it's, and I'll give an example, mm -hmm. let's say, for example, and I'll use one of my examples, went shopping for yogurt with one of my children and they're really excited to have you know, a vanilla yogurt, a particular vanilla yogurt. And when we got to that section of the supermarket, they'd sold out. They'd sold out of that flavor in that brand. And mm -hmm. so my immediate response, because I knew, hey, we might get an emotional outburst here because <laughs> they were so mm -hmm. excited. So my immediate response was, oh, look, they've sold out of all the vanilla yogurts. How frustrating. I know you're disappointed. It's very disappointing, mm -hmm. isn't it? So I've come in with just a few words of, here's my response. Oh, that's frustrating. I'm so disappointed. And by putting labels, a couple of labels in there, that already diffuses somewhat the, I don't go, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that's going to, you know, but it's just a small <laughs> example. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, there's a lot yes. of daily opportunities, I guess, where we can model what we are thinking and feeling about things. And the more we do that, absolutely, then it just provides that opportunity for kids to make those associations, to be exposed to emotion words in times when they are relaxed mm -hmm. and receptive, if that makes sense. So sorry, Julia, I've yes. kind of gone to the mm -hmm. left a little, but I guess it's an important. No, I think those are great examples. Yeah. yeah look, it, it just uh, adds to what great you're saying. Points you're making. Thank you. And I think it, what you're talking about where you're using those explicit terms is really important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think sometimes it's just, you know, measuring the situation and yeah, less can be more sometimes. And then it helps when you get to the more challenging ones, like the situation you've described where there's, you know, safety at risk perhaps for another child or those mm -hmm. things where it gets a bit more complex and yeah yes. and, and, and I think, there's a lot of the times layered yeah yes. yeah layered emotions pretty complex so even for an adult it would be a puzzle to put together let alone for a child I agree with what you're saying very articulate clear statements in making them clear and articulate we'll probably keep it short so that the child can't really understand it also, another thing that I was thinking as you were giving that example is we need to separate the teaching, like I need to teach the skill from the actual acknowledgement in the moment, right? This is what yep. I'm seeing. I'm just trying to meet your need. What is it you need in this moment? And again, the child may or may not be able to express it, but then offering, making offers to them to help meet their needs, right? But yep. that is attending to the child. It needs to be separated from the teaching moment. The teaching can happen later when the child is like you were saying, they're more available, more calm. There's no tension. That's the best time to teach. And sometimes we can teach by just kind of expressing what we're noticing about them or talking about ourselves because the child will never feel defensive if we're talking about our own feelings. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this, oh, yeah. this got spilled on the floor. Oh shoot, you know, I'm a little frustrated about that, but it's okay. So we're showing them, yeah, we have feelings too, but we're regulating pretty well because it's okay. Now yeah. I know what to do. You know why it's okay? Because I'm going to pick a paper towel and I'm going to clean that up. Yes. And so we're doing the same for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of modeling that response. And I think to Mm -hmm. add to that as well, and this is kind of the way that I look at things when I've worked with families over the years is when we do that immediate kind of emotion response using emotion words, like I said earlier, oh, that's disappointing. That's so frustrating. So there's that immediate acknowledgement of emotion and of feeling. Mm -hmm. That's stage one. And very quickly, the next step is what do we do about that? So I guess I look at it as the first part is about the emotion acknowledgement and the words around that. But very quickly, I want to shift them into problem solving mode. What do we do about that? Okay, there's no vanilla yogurt on the shelf. Um, what yeah. can we do now? Should we get a different mm-hmm. flavor? Should we get a different brand? What else can we do? And that's kind of what you were right. describing there. If a parent's spilt something on the floor, that they go, oh, that's mm-hmm. really frustrating. Oh, you know, and what can I do now? So it's kind of feeling, move into action, problem solving. Do you have a more sophisticated way to describe it? That's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah, so I think... You know, my tendency is to simplify things rather than make them more complicated, but the situations will be more sophisticated than that, right? A lot of the times we may layer our own feelings while we're watching a child have feelings. So let's say it's the child that spilled something on the floor. And now what? Uh, We might bring our own feelings to that, right? So we want to make sure we are regulated before we address the child. But in general, it's the same approach. We cannot move into teaching anything. We cannot move into solving any problems without acknowledging what is happening and how the child is feeling. So I 100% agree with that. And if the child is, if we catch it sooner, the sooner we notice an emotion, the sooner we identify what the need is, the better it is because they will be more likely in a problem-solving mode because they want their need to be met. It's not about how loud they can show their emotions to us. No, it's they're communicating the need right so the sooner we catch it the better but if things have escalated either the child is young or um, we have not maybe picked up on the feeling building out then we do have to get over that kind of peak of emotion just supporting them again validating validating and then slowly again step two moving into what can we do about this let me yeah. offer you some suggestions if they can't think about it yeah yeah fantastic and I think one of the things, and tell me how you work with this, but I guess when we're talking about having a strong emotional well-being and strengthening or helping our children strengthen their emotional well-being, mm-hmm. this is something that we're looking at really from an angle, Julia, where we're saying you are in control of your emotions, right? Kind of. Like we're kind of saying you're mm-hmm. in charge of how you respond to things or in the process of practicing how to respond to things better, whichever stage you might be up to. But in essence, we're kind of saying Mm -hmm. you're in charge, yeah? And you can practice how you can respond to stuff. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing. But how hard is it for kids? And I'm thinking about kids, particularly when they get into school and they're they're in an environment with a lot of kids, with a lot of different experiences Mm -hmm. that they bring with them. And kids can't control other people's Mm -hmm. I guess responses and actions and behaviors and those kinds of things obviously it must be so hard for kids to be keeping it cool and calm and collected when they're faced Mm -hmm. with such differences I mean tell me more you work Mm -hmm. a lot with kids in this age group (laughs) yeah well I love how you just acknowledged the child, right? How hard this is for them. And we all can be so much more supportive of a child if we remember how hard it is. It's easy for us to say, you know your feelings, therefore you should be in control of them. No, that's a separate skill, right? Knowing your feeling is separate from being able to express it, from being able to regulate, from being able to problem solve. What All of those are sequences of skills that need to be taught. And depending on the age, there may be a skill deficit or developmentally, they're not ready for that yet. Just because a child can demonstrate a skill in a smaller environment doesn't mean that they can do the same with peers. That's a lot of noise coming at them. I mean, peers have their own needs and they're also okay and their emotions are okay. How do they navigate low access to an adult and high level of other people's needs around them? That's quite a bit of a journey to go Mm. on for a child. You know, 
So validating that all the time and really asking ourselves, do they truly have the skill to handle what it is I'm expecting them to handle? Yeah. And how do we know? We only know if we've seen it. If we have not seen it, it's okay to approach it from the standpoint, the child does not have the skill. How can we teach it? We can't just say be in control of your feelings without having taught them exactly how do they do that, right? Yes, yes, that's right. I was just and making notes, Julia. <laughs> I was making notes because you I said something. You said something. I'm going to shut up. No, no, all good. <laughs> I was scribbling a few notes down because I liked what you said before in terms of that emotional, I guess, well-being and strengthening it you're really looking at three key components, which is expressing emotion, acknowledging and expressing emotion, regulating emotion, problem solving. I liked that. It's just yes. this, mm-hmm. and I like neatness sometimes. So it's just kind of that, those three key areas mm-hmm. just, I think, help the listeners understand that kind of sequence, which is really what it does follow. Acknowledge, express emotions, yeah. regulating emotions, problem solving. And they're kind of those core aspects to strengthening emotional well-being mm-hmm. so yes yeah, so sorry I got distracted what you said mm-hmm. earlier Julia no I like that yes I you know it really simplifies it but also I think we as adults need to be aware of those three things like when we're saying to a child oh you know it isn't a big deal or oh you know what I have full confidence in you sometimes we champion them too soon yes. I have full confidence in you handling it what exactly are we saying? It's better if we approach that really specifically and say to the child, I know you can problem solve, or I know you can express what you're feeling, or, you know, whatever, what are we saying to them when we're saying, I know you can handle this? What, is, what does that mean, right? We need to really point to them. What is, what is the action we are, we know they can take? And again, we do have to know that they have the skill for it. If they don't, we can, again, model that for them and say, you know, it looks like you might be feeling this. It's totally okay to feel this when such and such is happening. So we're really acknowledging for them that I'm seeing what you're seeing and it's totally fine. Let's see if we can problem solve around that. First, they need a solution, right, before we can tell them that what is your need or whatever that is. That whole discussion can happen after the fact but it's important for us also to understand what is it we're expecting the child to do when we're saying they should be handling this are we expecting them not to express emotion are we expecting them to express less of that emotion or problem solve independently what is it right yes and and before we teach and what you're referring to there is using very specific explicit language so that we're super clear Mm -hmm in terms of our expectations and also what you importantly also said was that we are setting realistic expectations for our child and I liked when you said okay if they if Mm. you can't expect them to or if they're not at a a point where they can express their own emotions you're going to model that for your child so that's the first step in strengthening their vocabulary or their understanding of their emotions so modeling that and I would say Julia just using basic teaching principles here once they've heard enough or have had enough opportunity to hear that modeling and understand it then Mm -hmm. you would then kind of go you know what I think they're pretty good with this particular scenario and you know this particular emotion that's going on so for example if they're frustrated because they lost at a board game Eh, that's a common one right kids get frustrated when they Mm -hmm. lose games Mm -hmm. they don't win so if we use that as an example if we've modeled how to respond to that a few times and you're kind of going okay I think you know little Jack now is able to recall some of that modeling then you could change your expectation then to go okay so what are you feeling are you feeling and then you could give a choice frustrated or angry and that helps them to take the next step to make some decisions themselves around how they're feeling and using a word themselves about how they're feeling. So it just starts mm-hmm. to slowly, slowly take away that tight framework that a care or educator might have and to have them starting to implement a little bit of their own words or practice their own skills slowly, slowly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. And it's this whole idea of kind of fading away the support slowly 
kind of maybe prompting with questions, but then slowly fading once we see that the skill is indeed learned, right? Yep. Yeah, not just saying that it's okay to lose, right? Because that's an outcome, it's not a feeling. It's really important to validate the feeling that the child has about losing. Oh, so I see you've lost at this game. If the child can say, right, we might check in, how did that make you feel? Okay, yes, it's understandable. You will feel frustrated when you lose at a game for the third time in a row. Totally get that, right? Yeah. Even just doing that can help the child regulate because, look, we're not upset at them being upset. And we're also showing them in, in which context their feeling totally makes sense. Yes. So next time you will see something like, guess what? This is the fourth time I lost at this game and I'm frustrated and they're telling you about it. That's huge progress. Thank you so much for telling me your feelings. Again, yes. validating, right? And what would you want to do about that? That's the next step. But validating first. Absolutely. Yep. That's the important first step. And thank you. And that's an example that happens a lot, (laughs) both at work and at home. So thank you for extending on that one. But yeah, that fading away the support slowly or incrementally is really important. And it's so empowering for the child, isn't it? To then be able to step in and, and demonstrate their skills and ability at each stage, at that acknowledgement, expressing, and then regulating, and then problem solving. So it's really kind of moving through those stages with them and slowly Mm -hmm. decreasing the support. So if we can look at a few easy ways, I guess, that we can also nurture children's emotional well-being being strengthened, what would you suggest? I've got one in my head, but I'm trying to not talk too, too much, Julia. <laughs> and I'd love to hear. I really like hearing you talk, by the way. Your ideas are wonderful. So, Oh, I know. But, you know, I've got, you know, yeah, got a, also, listening is very important, Julia. So tell me first, tell me first, because I'd love to hear your point of view on what are some simple tools that kids might use? And I'm not asking here for specific products and things like that because parents, lots Mm -hmm. of advertising and lots of products being marketed when it comes to all of Mm -hmm. the emotional things, et cetera. But what would you suggest Mm -hmm. as some tools that that would work really beautifully in nurturing kids to strengthen their emotional well-being? I love that question because actually you don't need to buy anything. Maybe buy yourself some time because this will take some time. But everything you need to support your child is already in your home, available in that relationship that you have with your child. And whatever you're noticing, usually in the behavior or the way that the emotion is expressed, notice that as it comes up as a challenge. Oh, this is a problem. The problem I'm noticing is X, Y, Z. Write it out to yourself so you kind of capture it and then flip it into what would I like to see instead? And that's the beginning steps to deciding on the skills you might want to teach. And sometimes, you know, we may come out with something very general, like I want my child to behave better. Okay, what does that actually mean, right? So unpacking that into actual things you can teach. If you cannot teach behaving better, quote unquote, behaving better, what does that look like? That means that it's not specific enough as a skill, right? So getting a little deeper into what would I like my child to be able to do? to express, to show, okay, now that we have those markers, how might you teach it? And the great opportunity here is that the child is a human being just like we are. So again, knowing that behavior and emotions are communication devices, what is it they're trying to communicate? What might be an alternative way for that? And knowing ourselves, how we tend to process emotions, how do we support our own emotional well-being will help us in guiding that process of teaching the child, modeling to the child. It's hard to do that when we can't do that for ourselves, obviously. And this is where we might reach out to a professional, but not to a specific app or specific anything product wise on the market, because really children learn best from other human beings, especially if those other people are people they have relationships with. So what a better place than your family to start that process, right? Absolutely. And I agree in that 
a lot of the learning comes from the relationships, you know, those, the family relationships and the family connection and the quality of time, I guess, in nurturing the relationship. That's the real foundation, isn't it, Julia? Yes, absolutely. Because again, if we go back to the previous conversation we had, the beginning stages of regulation is in our ability and the caretaker's ability to hold the child's emotions for them. Something happens for them. It's like, I'm going to use this analogy because it's kind of similar, even though it's not as pretty. It's kind of like poop or pee. It just comes out. You know, it's just biologically necessary. It's going to come out of a child. Sometimes they don't know what to do with it. And so they look at us, you know, oh, I have all of this happening to me. I don't know what it is. It's all over me. Yes. Yes, Those are feelings. And you are scared or angry or super happy. That's what's happening here. And it's totally okay. There is a way to clean that up and regulate it, right? Yep, yep, um, yep. So that is, all of that is in the relationship that we have with them. Yeah, yeah. That analogy was visually unpretty, but it did make sense, Julia. It did make <laughs> complete sense and it got the message through. <laughs> it was good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to extend from that because we've got the foundation, which we've, we've already discussed. And then I kind of look at, well, perhaps we consider what tools of regulation, if you like, or what tools of emotional well-being strength, if you like, if we use that, what tools do we use as adults? What works for us? What might work for our child? Now, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not the psychologist here, Julia, but I'm just going to rattle off a few things um, that um, I know, you know I've used or I've suggested um, to my children or children that I work with, etc. And these are things like um, talking, so talking to someone, that's an obvious one, right? And you've got to have vocabulary to be able mm-hmm. to do that. Now, for some, they don't, that medium doesn't work. Then there's things like drawing, colouring in, um, I guess forms of expression that might help mm-hmm. uh, with what I call just regulating, calming the system, a tool for them to create their own calm space. Um, if they're, If it's age appropriate, journaling, writing, um, things like books, uh, you know, storytelling, uh, there are, you know, and look, I'm a children's author too, Julia, and, um, so much, so much richness is, is learnt from children's books. Um, and, and that's one that I have to, I have to mention as such an important teaching tool, um, because through story, we learn so much and, and kids get so much too. So I'm not saying that people have to run out and buy, you have to buy lots of books. There's libraries that you can borrow amazing books, um, that can, that can, you know, children can feel that they are speaking to them. Yeah. Um, so Mm -hmm. there, there's some of the things that. I wanted to add something. Yeah, please do. About the storytelling. Yes. That why it has such an impact on the child is because first of all, if we read stories on a regular basis, that's a familiar practice and they know it always goes well. There is barely anything that can go wrong in us reading a story to a child. Um, So by default, they know that this is a very soothing experience and they're in a very relaxed state of mind. And so in that moment, that's the best opportunity for the brain to learn something. Your child is regulated. The heartbeat is regular and slow, right? Everything is good. Yep. And so there's then messages planted in the child's mind, little seeds, and another form of modeling through a story. The character had that and that happened to them. They felt this way. This is what they did about it. How empowering, right? Oh, so absolutely. It's receptive in that moment. Absolutely. And, uh, and children experiencing or relating to characters within children's books and watching them progress through some of those stages we talked about, you know, expressing emotion or regulating and then problem solving, they're already built in, in um, you know, some wonderful children's storybooks. So, yeah, so I hope you don't mind me kind of listing a few things that were top of mind for, for me in terms of tools that, that I've used in various contexts. 
Have you got others that you want to add to that, Julia? No doubt you already use a lot of those. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I yes. jumped in there. Oh, no, no, no. I, like I said, I, I love hearing your ideas as well. And I, I guess I'm thinking about tools as a little bit um, from kind of categories maybe of like yes. what might we, like what's the purpose of that? Um, there are tools for teaching things and then there's tools for regulating, right? That's right. Uh, tools for communicating, kind of like all those stages we went through. You know, at some point, it's what you were talking about, drawing, talking. Something else I would add to that is just being in the presence of somebody who is calm. So yes. that is, we can be that tool for the child. Even if they're having their moment and they're still processing that emotion and they're still in it, us continuing to be calm and composed, knowing that there is nothing wrong with the child. They're doing what they need to do. They're sitting on an emotional toilet. I'm going to go back to that. <laughs> Thanks. And processing their emotions in the moment. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's okay. So if we can continue around them, going about our business and everything is calm, that's a way to help them regulate as well as one of the small tools, right? But in terms of other tools, it's really teaching, I think, through modeling and stories. Stories are perfect, especially for parents who are kind of at a loss of how to teach something. So not only the child benefits, but the parent as well. Yeah. Sometimes parents can get a language from there, like phrases that would be helpful. Also, those stories can be repeated throughout the day. Hmm, I wonder what blah, 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 that character would do here. What do mm, you think? Nice. Um, so yep. it's an easy way to engage in that dialogue, right? Also, um, I think to me, it's all about regulation of the emotion and strengthening the well-being. We'll go back to regulation, right? But the regulation comes from understanding the need behind it. So that's the teaching part of it, right? As many times as we can possibly um, use as a teaching moment. It doesn't have to be big. And in fact, it should not be the most intensive intense emotions that we're trying to teach this lesson through but something pretty basic you know looks like you're a little bit disappointed your friend did not call you back or they didn't share their toy with you uh, looks like you're a little bit disappointed such and such didn't go your way what did you really want to happen or even just like you feel this because you're feeling disappointed and you you needed your friend or you wanted that thing so we're validating what they needed is okay. And then we attach the emotion to that because we do this, like we're building the connection between saying, this is what's happening for you, acknowledging that, and then, and it's okay to have an emotion about it. So that connection, you needed this, you had an emotion about it, and we can problem solve. That's the teaching steps, right? Yeah. It's all done through modeling. Yeah, and that's a great example, Julia, because what you've also said with that example when you've said, what were you wanting to have happen, for example, um, mm -hmm. that in itself is having the child immediately become aware of what their, perhaps their unknown expectation was and that there was a discrepancy mm -hmm. between what they were expecting and what they got. And that's then linked to their emotion. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge self-awareness yeah. teaching within that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Also, we could do the reverse and ask them, hey, this just happened. Something they observe, right? What might you be feeling? What do you think I'm feeling? Just almost like turning it in, into a game. Obviously, we have to be well-regulated ourselves. That's always our work. Whenever we notice that the child needs their own emotional well-being strengthened, we have to see what is, what's our own level of strength there because it takes skill and patience and our own understanding of ourselves in order to teach something to a child especially if we're going to be modeling a few things right and use ourselves as examples but if say we're good at that and we can model and we feel pretty confident about understanding our own feelings we might be asking the child you know so um like that example you were using with the yogurt so 
the yogurt is not here. So what do you think I might be feeling or anyone might be feeling? Or even just pointing out things around the child about other people. So look at that person over there. What do you think they might be feeling? What do you see on their face? How did, does their voice sound? So we can do a lot of that teaching. Opportunities are everywhere. Um, yes. I know there's lots of products, but I would say stay away from those for as long as you can, unless they're recommended by a professional, because they're really um, trying to replace the human connection. And that is your first go-to most yeah. reliably if the adult interacting with the child is well regulated absolutely yes and that that's actually a lovely point to kind of wrap wrap things up with this episode julia that line that you just said about human connection i think that's mm-hmm. what we've got to come come back to really focusing on and building upon so yeah i think that's that's a, a lovely way to kind of wrap up and and bring that take-home message to our listeners. Julia, we have had a great chat and I know we could keep chatting for a while. Mm-hmm. Yes, we could. <laughs> but we could. I, I am so grateful and I know that because you do have so many gems of valuable um, information to share with families and professionals who work with children, you yourself, Julia, um, have a parenting podcast, uh, The Parenting Presence. So I'm going to mention that now mm-hmm. because I know that it's it's due to launch and perhaps by the time this is on air, it may have already launched. Can you tell us a little bit about The Parenting Presence podcast? Yes, thank you for mentioning that and for asking about it. Um, really, the it's a, it's a space for me to create space for parents if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parenting presence is something that every parent has. And I think I was mentioning this to you earlier. Sometimes our children become more aware of that more quickly than we do. But it's the space and the way in which we can show up our best selves. The kind of um, way of thinking about parenting that really helps you tap into your own resources because no matter what you always show up in some way in some form you do respond to your child you're there and so your presence already brings a lot with it to that interaction so the more aware we are of how it is that we are showing up the more intentional we can be about what kind of presence we're creating And what's nice about this idea is it ties back to our whole conversation about emotional development and a lot of the nonverbal communication that happens, because that's where the presence has its most, the highest impact, understanding how powerful our own nonverbal language is, and the child is constantly reading that off of us, constantly. Even when we're not looking at a child, they can read from our back. Are we tense? Are we relaxed? What are we doing? Um, They may not understand it all, but it does send them a lot of signals. And so that's, um, that's my intention with this podcast is really to help parents understand how to use their presence to really show up in the best way possible with whatever tools they have. And I think hopefully we've um, encouraged lots of parents to look within, look within their homes. Tools are there. Yeah, beautiful. I'm looking forward to listening to it myself, Julia. So so thank you for, for everything uh, that you have shared with us in part one and part two, talking about emotional development and strengthening emotional well-being. It has been an absolute pleasure having you join the Chat About Children podcast. Thank you so much, Sonia. It's my pleasure to be here. I enjoyed our conversation immensely. We can talk forever. We can. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you. Great to have that chat there with Julia Pappas on strengthening emotional well-being. Now, do remember to check out her newly launched podcast, The Parenting Presence, where she does have episodes released every Tuesday. 
Also, for those parents, carers and educators who are looking for a platform to start a conversation with children about emotions and also about how to manage them and also be able to nurture some resilience and some self-empowerment in regulating and managing their emotions, I do strongly recommend my children's picture book, Kisses in Your Heart. I've certainly received a lot of humbling feedback about how it has positively opened doors for children and their families in starting a conversation about emotions and really looking at very practical ways that they can start to build those fundamental um, skills in resilience as well. So please be aware of Kisses in Your Heart. Um, that is now also available in ebook format. So that's very exciting that you're able to purchase that in both physical copy and ebook format. So do please check that out, Kisses in Your Heart. Uh, for those parents and teachers, also remember that there are teacher's notes and activity sheets linked to the book, and you can find all of that on my website, soniabestelich.com.au. Thank you so much for your attention today on the Chat About Children podcast. Please do remember to leave a review and to also share this episode with family, friends, and with colleagues. I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.